really is a privilege and an honor to be here. I know that usually when um, a guest speaker gets up, that's what they say all the time, but knowing uh, Brother Montoro the way that I do and knowing the caliber of man that he is, I mean that. It really is an honor to be here in his pulpit and be with you at your church. I want you to know we do pray for this church as well as Brother Newberger's work in Brooklyn on a regular basis. We are a church plant ourselves, so we understand a little bit what it's like for the Newberger family. I'm not saying that the East End is anything close to like Brooklyn or Astoria. It's not. I found that out driving here. And uh, I will say the only thing we have in common is we need tracks passed out in our neighborhoods too, brother. So, but other than that, I can't see anything of the same. All right? But um, we pray for your work here. And uh, I want to say quickly, um, I mentioned about Brother Montoro. I'm looking forward to having him out at our church this fall. We're, ha- we're going to be celebrating our fifth year anniversary. We organized two years ago, and we'll be having our five-year anniversary in October. And looking forward to having a, kind of a week-long celebration of what the Lord has done on the East End. I'd love to share with you what he has done. I know that's not what we're here for tonight, so maybe at another time we could do that. But quickly, I do want to say thank you um, for those that have asked about my wife, Jen. I was impressed how many people asked me how she was doing, which tells me you all were praying for her. And that's an encouragement. That's a blessing. Thank you for that. I'll tell you quickly uh, what happened. It was a Sunday um, that I was going to be here. We had to take my wife to the hospital she had uh, what we thought was having a stroke. All the symptoms showed that. It ended up not being that. Uh, she was diagnosed with something called complex regional pain syndrome. It also used to be called RSD. It's a neurological disorder and a, um, a problem. And so uh, she's doing physical therapy three times a week. And so it's been a little bit of a hectic month. Matter of fact, that's why she's not with me tonight. Her dad um, took her and our daughters with her mom and sister and took them to Pennsylvania for a couple of days. And so they left this morning. I'm going to meet them after tonight and I'm going to head down there. But uh, so that's where they are tonight. Otherwise, they'd be with me. But next time, they'll be here next time. I do have my phone so I can show, I can show you pictures afterwards if you want to see. All right. In praying about what to preach tonight, knowing that every time God's people gather together, it matters. It's for a reason. We ought never just check in. When we go to church, we always ought to be expecting something. Believing the Lord has this message for tonight, for you. It's been a blessing to me. Um, Our church went through the book of Exodus. We just finished up a few weeks ago, and now we're in 1 Corinthians. But this, on a personal level, was very much a blessing for me, and I hope it is for you as well. It's found in Exodus chapter 33. If you take your Bibles, Exodus chapter 33. Do you all stand when you read the Scriptures? Is that something you do? or one of you do. Okay, that's good. No, no, I'm just kidding. You can stand. It's okay. You can stand. All right. I just want to be sensitive to whatever you do here. All right. That's not. I didn't mean to embarrass the dear lady. Sorry about that. Exodus chapter 33. Our text will be taken from verse 18. We'll begin in verse 12 to gain context. Before we do anything, let's pray. Father in heaven, I do thank you for the privilege it is to be here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We do pray for Brother Montoro tonight that you would Bless him and the ministry up there. They're going through this um, GIBF conference. Pray that those men would be encouraged and challenged and come back with a renewed vigor to serve you. And Father, we turn our attention to the service here this evening. We ask that your Holy Spirit would meet with us in a very real, felt way. That he would teach us what we need to learn. And that we would leave here not having just been thankful to have gone to church, but leaving with something we can apply in our lives Tomorrow, anticipating what you'll have for us on Sunday. Father, thank you for the faithfulness of these people. I realize that the midweek service, there's a lot of busy schedules that are represented here, but they have made time to be here. Father, I pray that you'd bless them for their faithfulness to you and your work and your house. Father, I pray for myself that you would help me. I pray that you would calm my nerves, keep me from pride, fill me with your spirit. And I pray that we'd have a wonderful service looking into your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now 
thy way. And boy, have we not all been there, amen, where we just want to know the way to go. And Moses, in this, by the time we get to Exodus 33, he has just come back to the children of Israel breaking the very laws that he was being given on Mount Sinai. And in a fit of righteous anger, you know what he did? He broke the tablets. And he's just, he's had enough with the children of Israel. Like, what more can we take here? They've murmured, they've complained, it's up, down, they're idolatrous, they're immoral. And the Lord says that you're going to go, but an angel's going to go with you. And Moses says, we know that that won't work. We need God with us. And so now here he is, he's talking to the Lord, and he needs direction. He needs counsel. And he says, he asks, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Well, that's a great truth that we all should really take heart. Amen? A lot of us are spiritual enough to do what we want and then ask God to bless us while we do it, but not Moses. Moses said, Lord, I don't want you to follow me. I want to follow you. And if you don't go with us, what's the point in going? The next verse, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that in thou goest with us? So shall, we, so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. What separates us today from the world? God's presence. Moses said that's what's going to separate. This is the only thing that separates us from everybody else. You with us. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Praise God, that's still true. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Thank you, you may be seated. A.W. <clears throat> Tozer said, God is looking for men with whom his glory is safe. What would he mean by that? What he means by that is we live in a day and age where men seek their own glory. Men seek to do what would promote them. This is why it seems such a contradiction that we would esteem others better than ourselves. That it would be good to give instead of receive. Because the world is all about promoting self, but the Bible teaches different. And God is looking for men today with whom His glory is safe. That there will not be pride enter into the life, whether it be a person in the pew or a man in a pulpit that the sole purpose of our existence is God's glory this word is a Hebrew word called kabod Moses is saying here to God I beseech you I pray you I beg you show me thy glory what did he mean by that this Greek word means show me the essence of who you are the Hebrew word literally means weight of worth heaviness Sum of worth, the greatness, the character of God. In other words, take everything about God and put it on a scale and you have there the essence of God. Moses said, show me your glory. God, basically, show me you. Show me who you are. Show me what makes you God. A.W. Pink said this is the godness of God that Moses is seeking. And I would ask us tonight, when was the last time we sought God's glory? We sought to see God's glory alone. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more important than the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, you probably know it by heart. Whatsoever therefore ye eat, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's our goal, to eat, drink, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God, then we want to know what it is, amen? And we're not going to know that without this prayer that Moses gave. We live for the glory of God or nothing at all. Without God's presence, without God's power, all we do is exist. A church without God's power on it, a church without God's glory present, is nothing more than some nice people assembling themselves together, having a nice time, and then parting ways. But with God's power, it's different. With God's power, you turn a community upside down. With God's glory, with God's power, you're a light in a dark, dark world. We need God's glory in our personal lives and in our ministries. 
Without God's presence, we just exist. But the good news is, as long as there is glory of God and glory to God, then we will always have a purpose. And here's a hint. There will always be glory to God and glory for God. Amen? So that means we always will have a purpose. This is why we were created. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and what? Keep His commandments. In obedience, God is glorified. It's why we were created. This request, this desire, this pursuit of Moses. Show me your glory. Is I believe the highest pursuit that we could have in our Christian lives. There's a lot of things that we talk about that we need. I do not believe there's a greater than to know the glory of God. Moses' frustration seemed here pretty reasonable. I'm not suggesting that I'm like Moses at all. I'm not. That may come as a shock. No, not really. None of us would claim to be like Moses, one of the greatest men that ever walked the earth. But why does God give us instances like this? Because Moses was a man just like you and I were. Charles Spurgeon said this, It seems that some of God's choicest servants go through the most fiery trials. And then he said, Perhaps that's why they seem as their God's choicest servants. In other words, that which drives them close to the Lord affects everything else in their life. Moses is a great man, but perhaps one of the reasons for his greatness is because of his desires. And one of his desires here, clearly seen, is the glory of God. Show me your glory. Moses, although we're not like him in many ways, I think in this instance we are a lot like him. Have you ever been at your wit's end? Have you ever been just frustrated? Have, you, have your circumstances gone totally opposite what the way they're supposed to? While you're having a mountaintop experience with the Lord, you come out of that into your family or into a work situation, into relationships, friends, whatever it is, and it's chaos. It's maddening. It's frustrating. Try being Moses, the head of Israel, coming down and God's chosen people who have been brought out of Egypt are breaking the very commandments that He's just been given. And He's had it pretty much. These people... They leave Egypt and then they want Moses dead because they said, you know what, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here anyway. We liked it back there with the leeks and garlic. They forgot about the slavery part. But as long as, as, long as we, we get the, the food, as long as our flesh is satisfied, then they cross the Red Sea miraculously. After they thought they were going to perish, then they come to bitter water, we're going to die. God saves them, they don't die. They come to Rephidim, no water, we're going to die. God saves them, they don't. Provides them manna from heaven. And what do they do in turn? This is how they respond. And you can just imagine the frustration with Moses. He comes down and he's just, he's had it. But, not to the point where he wanted to dismiss them. Luke chapter 9, I believe, gives us a, a tremendous, and I don't mean tremendous in the sense of great, good. I mean tremendous in the sight of powerful example of something we need to watch ourselves. You don't have to turn there, just trust me, it's there, all right? Because we don't have time to go there. But there is a very real sense of the need of humility in our lives today. Some of you might know the text, Luke chapter 9. The Bible says the disciples were walking with the Lord and they were reasoning among themselves. Anybody remember what they were reasoning? Who would be the greatest? Now, reasoning among themselves who would be the greatest literally means that they had reasons why they would be greater than the other one. Or why the person they thought should be the greatest was really the greatest. Can you imagine having that conversation with the Lord there? Which one of us will be the greatest? But what is that called? At the root of it, it's called pride. And the Lord corrects them with this pride, brings a child up onto his lap, places him there, and teaches them a lesson in humility. The first will be last, the last will be first. But then, not Bartholomew or Thaddeus, it was John. One of the inner three. The Bible says John answered. After they get this instruction on, on, on pride and humility, John answers right away and he says, Well, Lord, let me just tell you, let me just tell you what I've done. How many of you know people like that? They just can't be corrected. And if they do get corrected, they have to explain why they didn't really need to be corrected because I'm really actually a good person because if you, you just knew what I did the other day. Anyone know people like that? All right. 
Three of us. Good. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. So John goes, Lord, I realize you're teaching us here, but let me just show you how spiritual I am. There was a guy over there casting out devils in your name. And I forbade him because he was not with us. Jesus corrects him and says, forbid him not. For he that is not against us is what? For us. Do you realize what John's criteria was right there? He literally skimmed over the fact the man was doing it in Jesus' name and zeroed in on the fact that he was not with us. He wasn't doing what the way we do it. And the Lord now moves on from correcting him with pride and now he corrects him for being judgmental. He says, you don't judge that way. That's not the standard for judgment. You're not the standard for judgment. Not you, but Jesus saying that back then. But that applies for us today too. But if you don't check pride and you don't correct it there, then you become judgmental. And if you don't correct the judgmental spirit, you get to the next level of degression, which is where the disciples did. They go into a town. It's right there in Luke 9. And the town did not receive them because Jesus' face was set for Jerusalem. And the town doesn't receive them. And does anybody remember what James and John, two of the closest disciples, anybody remember what they said to the Lord about that town? They said this. They said, Lord, now forgive me, brother. Jason? All right. Imagine, brother, this is the Lord they're talking to. Okay. Is it okay to come off the platform? Okay. Thank you. I, I, I walk a lot. I don't walk I don't walk anywhere else as you can tell but I walk a lot when I preach all right Can you imagine the Lord is there and here's what they say Lord Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them like Elijah did Now if the Lord wanted to consume that town he would have done it Amen He didn't need the disciples to say we got this If you want us to call down fire from heaven, we can do that. Now, here's the tragedy. What would have happened to those people had fire come down from heaven? Where would they have gone? To hell. But that didn't matter to the disciples right now. Their ego had been affected. That was the biggest concern for them at, the point, at that time. They had literally gone from being proud to being judgmental. And because they did not correct that judgmental attitude, they had become condemnatory. And condemnatory means where you just... Write people off. I'm done. They mean nothing. They're of no value. I know Christ died for them, but for me, they have no value. Moses was not that type of a man. Now, if we're not careful, I've been there myself. We've got to really strive for the grace of humility. Here's why God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need God's grace. We need God's presence. Moses. Even though he was frustrated, even though he was upset, he did not want to see Israel perish. He did not want to see Israel deterred. That has amazing balance. And I believe it's a true pastor's heart that you can identify the problem and be so righteously indignant that that's got to change. But at the same time, know and love them enough to want to see it through so that it does change. We're not suggesting God didn't have that same attitude, but God's testing Moses and so Moses here and he says, Lord, he says, oh, we don't need that. We need you. And if we don't, if you don't go with us and we shouldn't go. And God said, Moses, I'm going to I'm going to hear your prayer. I'm going to go with you. But Moses wasn't done yet. Moses said one more thing. Lord, I beseech thee, show me your glory. Moses has seen the plagues, has he not? He saw what God did in Egypt, including the salvation of the firstborn by the blood. Amen. He saw a nation of slaves leave their captors without one sword being raised. He had seen God part the Red Sea and allow Israel to, Israel to cross as Israel's past came closing in. And let me just say this. This does not count towards the message. Amen. This is two minutes of free. Isn't that a blessing? It is for me. All right. But that's pride and don't be like that, all right? Here's the blessing. I want to tell you, we get like the Israelites a lot when our past comes chasing us down. What happened to the Israelites of the Red Sea? They got scared because of who? The Egyptians. And what happened was they were thinking 
as if they were escaped slaves. When in reality, they were redeemed people. And they had to think like a redeemed people and not like escaped slaves. But some of us in our Christian lives, we think like escaped slaves. We think as if we just made it out. And we're constantly looking over our shoulder and memories, uh, friends, past, whatever it is, seemingly comes chasing after us. Don't allow that to deter you. God told them to look forward and move forward. You say, but I can't move forward. If God told you to move forward, he'll make a way. Trust me. Amen. You can trust the Bible on that. He did for the children of Israel. Move forward. They see the sea part in front of them. Moses was there for that. Moses saw the Red Sea part. He saw a seabed. Turned completely dry to allow an entire nation to cross. He saw God turn bitter water into sweet. He saw God provide manna from heaven. He saw God provide water at Rephidim when there was no water. He saw God give a great victory over the Amalekites as he held his arms up and Aaron and Hur stood on each side and saw God give a great victory. He had seen the miracles of God, had he not? But here, when it's just him and God, When he's at his wit's end, when he's frustrated, he knows that there's a task ahead of him that he cannot do. He knows that what he's about to do, he cannot accomplish on his own. He doesn't ask for a miracle. He asks for God. Amen. He realized tonight that he wasn't seeking something else that God could do. He wasn't asking God, Lord, do something amazing for me to see. He didn't care about that. And beloved, you and I will advance our Christian life when we are content with God alone instead of always wanting God to do something. God in his person is always, always the answer. Too often we think too much of our lives and our situations and we can get like the Jews that require a sign in order to believe. I need God to do something so that I know, beloved, God is enough. And although Moses had seen all these things here with just him and God, he wasn't asking for a miracle. He just wanted God. Show me your glory. Show me your essence. Show me your character. Show me who you are. That's the request. Second came the response. And boy, was it a good one. Amen. Verse 19. And he said, God, I make all my goodness pass before thee and will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Wow, wow, wow. God responds, who do you think you are? Is that what he did? How dare you request that you see my glory? Is that what God did? No. You know what he said? He said, okay. Now, don't think that the translators made a mistake because Moses requested God's glory. What did God say he'd show him? I'll make all my goodness pass before you. Beloved, you want to know the character of God? It's right there. The essence of God? It's right there. God is good. Everything about God is good. Even his wrath? Yes, it's good. Now, the world twists it. They want to point out what they think are mistakes or things that are character flaws. How could God do something like How could God allow something like that? But they are starting wrong. They have to understand that from the very beginning, God is good. And everything there that flows out of it is God's goodness, God's holiness, his wrath, his love, his mercy, all these things. Aren't you thankful that God answered that way? He didn't say, I'll allow all my wrath to pass before you. I'll I'll allow all my judgment to pass before you. He said, I will allow my goodness to pass before you. This is why it ought not surprise us that the Apostle Paul would write one of the most blessed books in the New Testament, the book of Romans to the saints at Rome. And in Romans chapter 2, does anybody remember what he said turns people to God? Does anybody remember what leads men to repentance? It's the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. Amen? Not the wickedness of the sinner. We have enough preaching like that. If I just hammer away long enough on how bad people are, maybe they'll get it. Wrong. Start preaching on the goodness of God. And perhaps like Isaiah, when he saw God high and lifted up and he saw God for who he was, then said I, woe is me. When we start seeing God as he is, you'll be surprised how much of our own sin comes to light. 
And it won't come to light out of emotion. It'll come to light out of the Holy Spirit revelation. And that's when people get right. That's when people see themselves as they ought to see. And they say, as Isaiah did, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. He didn't need anyone to tell him that he had unclean lips. He didn't need anyone to tell him, hey, you're undone. You have unclean lips. You dwell amongst the people that are unclean lips. All he had to do was get a glimpse of God and that, that became clear. This is a wonderful thing, the goodness of God. But who's going to show the world today the goodness of God? Hint us. Moses desired, Lord, show me your glory. God said, I'll show you my goodness. Notice the next thing he says, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. Now, I don't get that. I don't understand it, but I believe it. Imagine, do we know what God just said here? Literally, God just said, I will preach about myself. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. Now, we know great preachers who talk on great subjects. Amen. And I love Brother Larry Clayton. Larry Clayton is one of the, our first guest speakers out at our church. You guys, you all know Larry Clayton. Amen. This is better than Larry Clayton on evangelism. Amen. This is even better than Brother Montoro on church planning, something he knows well. This is God preaching on God. Imagine that. The best preacher that the world has ever known, preaching on the highest subject the world has ever known. God said, I will pass before you, but I'm not just going to pass. I'm going to tell you about myself. What a blessing. So Moses requested God's glory. God responded in saying, I will allow my goodness to pass before you. But there's also some requirements for you to see it. And this is where it starts getting a little narrow way. Amen. Moses requested God's glory. God responded that he'll give him. But he said this in verse 20, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. Amen. I know we ought not use our imaginations too much, but I'm wondering that from where God was speaking to Moses, that place wasn't just at his right hand. There is a place by me. That same book we talked about a few minutes ago, Isaiah, the Bible says that the seraphim, anybody know what the seraphim are doing right now? They are around God's throne and they are crying over and over again three words. Holy, holy, holy. But you know where they are? They're at God's throne. Do you know what seraphim means? It means burning ones. That ought not surprise us, amen? It ought not surprise us that those closest to God are the ones on fire. We ought to be burning ones. We ought to be ones on fire. We ought to be ones worshiping God, desiring to see His holiness. How's that going to happen? By getting to where God is. God said, there's a place by me, not just any place. Thou shalt stand upon a rock. Now, who do you think this is a picture of? Amen. By the way, I forgot to tell you this. I apologize. This is my fault. I talked to Brother Montoro before the service, and he said it's okay to say amen. All right. Okay. I didn't really talk to him. All right. But you get the idea. This is a picture of our Lord. Amen. There's a place by me. And you're going to stand on a rock. So good luck getting up there. Maybe you can climb your way up, Moses. Hey, I made you a promise. I will answer your request. I'll give you my glory. I'll show you my glory. But in order to see it, you've got to go up to where that rock is, and then I'll pass by you up there. I'll wait here. Is that what God did? No. Look at the next verse, verse 22. It shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee. In the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Amen, amen, and amen. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you see my glory, but there's a requirement, Moses. You can't see my glory from where you're at. You've got to move. In order to see my glory, you've got to be in the rock. You've got to be standing on the rock. But here's the thing you can't get there on your own. But you know what I'll do for you? I'll put you there. Does that not remind us of the psalmist who talks about us when we were in our lost condition? And God saw us in our lost condition and grabbed us up out of the miry clay and set our feet upon a rock. Giving us stability, amen? Well, don't forget what Paul told the church at Colossae. 
as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Listen, if you got saved by faith, you got to live by faith. Amen. If you got saved from God picking you up and putting you where you need to be, that's how you have to live your life. By God placing you where you need to be. Oh, his desire was right. Lord, show me your glory. I don't need a miracle. I just need you. And God said, I'll give it to you. I'll show it to you. But you can't see it from where you are right now. And I I had imagined tonight that many of us here tonight would desire to know God in a greater way. We would desire to know God's glory, that it would be real, not just something we study about. Realizing that we stand before God, it's not going to be a vocab test. Define the church, define glory, define salvation. No, we're going to give an account for the works that we did, whether they be good or bad. And we want to live that life for God, practical, real. We want to experience Him in our lives. That's our desire. But I'm wondering tonight if God is saying to you in response, I'll give it to you, but you can't see it from where you are. Are we hopeless then? No. Because God will put us where we need to be. That's faith. Faith realizes that I can't do enough. And we're not even talking about salvation. We're talking about the Christian life. This is why Jesus would tell the disciples in John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the what? Abide in me. Where in me? You know what? I, you know the great thing about that text. Anybody know what the Bible calls the grapes? It's four words. That's a hint. It rhymes with moot of the vine. Fruit of the what? Fruit of the vine. Do you know where the grapes are found, though? They're found, that's right, they come from the vine. They're found on the branches. Did you know that? Of course you knew that, right? The vine grows, the branches shoot uh, offshoot, and then you see the, the fruit. Does that not excite you? It's not called the fruit of the branch. It's called the fruit of the vine. But the branches get to yield it. The branches get to have it. The branches get to show it. Amen? And listen, it's not our fruit. It's not the fruit of our lives. But beloved, when we're plugged into the Lord, we get to yield it. Praise the Lord for that. But we've got to be in the right spot. We've got to be abiding in Christ. You say, well, Pastor, listen, I appreciate what you're saying tonight, but we don't have a rock that God's going to put us into. You're right, but who is it a picture of? Christ. And the Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Why did, they, why did the Lord say that Jesus is the Word? Anyone ever thought about that? It's a very simple yet profound answer. What, what do we use words for? What is the Word? Think about that. What is the Word? What is a Word? If nothing more than a thought communicated. I wouldn't know what is in your mind, nice lady. I don't know your name. No, Miss Pam. Okay, I would not know what's in your mind unless you did one of several things. Unless you spoke it or unless you wrote it. Amen? I wouldn't know unless she spoke it out or she wrote it or signed it or whatever. Somehow there's got to be a communicative word to those. Beloved, we would not know God apart from Christ. Jesus is the living word. He literally is God communicated to us. And so God in his great goodness gave us a word that we can have with us, a 66 book library that we get to carry around with us, Jesus Christ being the subject, and we get to read it and study it and memorize it and have it in our hearts and our lives. Do you know why? Because abide in me. If you want to see the glory of God and know the glory of God, you got to do what Moses did, and that's you have to be in the rock. You're not going to have it in 2015 unless you're in your Bible. Unless you're in the book. God said, I'll place you there. You can't get there on your own, but I can place you there. Moses had a great request. Lord, show me your glory. The Lord had a wonderful response. I'll show you. But there's requirements. There's a place you have to be. And I'll set you there. And then came the wonderful part. And I have 12 minutes. Amen. The revelation. Chapter 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and... What's that word? Anybody surprised? We ought not be. Amen? What did God say he would do back in chapter 33? 
I will allow my goodness to pass before you, and I will proclaim my name before thee. What is he doing in chapter 34? Exactly what he said he would do. Amen? We're going through an end time series at our church on Wednesday nights. And I was saying last night that not one of us here, if I said to you tonight, how many of you believe that there's an Antichrist? How many would agree with that? Okay? That makes two of us, brother. All right? You and me, we got, listen, we, Astoria needs more tracks than we thought, brother. No. How many of you, how many of you believe there's going to be an Antichrist? How many of you believe the Lord's going to return? How many of you believe that there's going to be a millennium in the future? That has to be defined these days. Do you know why we believe that? There's a very simple answer. Matter of fact, why why do you believe there's an Antichrist? I'm picking on you tonight, brother. I'm so sorry. Why? The Bible says so. God says so. Amen. That's what we base our belief on. God says so. I I base my, my, my view on future prophecy on the very fact God said so. Why do I? Why am I not surprised that God kept his word with Moses? Because he said he would. But we get all messed up in the brain when we deal with present day. We believe every single future prophecy because God said so. But then we read, my God shall supply all my need. And we start wondering if that one's really going to happen. We start, we start seeing that, lo, I am with you always, and we wonder if that one was really true. God always keeps his word. Whether it's, I will pass before you and I will proclaim my name before thee. Whether it is, I will come again. Or whether it is, I will meet your need. God always keeps his word. Amen. Chapter 34, verse 6 proves it again. And what did God proclaim? This is God preaching about himself. The Lord, the Lord God. Merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and to the fourth generation. Brother Montoro, you know what God just did right there? He chose what to reveal about himself. Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your essence. Show me your character. And God could have chosen a million things, couldn't he have? But he chose these things. He chose goodness and mercy and long-suffering. And did you see that last part? Oh, man, it's, isn't, that, isn't that wonderful? Abundant of goodness and truth. Abundant with goodness and truth. Does that sound familiar to anybody? John chapter 1, verse 18. John is talking about who? Jesus Christ. What did Moses say? Lord, show me your what? Show me your glory. You know what John says about Jesus Christ? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Full of grace and truth. Amen? Sounds like Exodus 34. But that's not all John said. I want, I want you to see something here. God chose to preach about himself. He could have preached about a million things. He chose to preach about himself. The Lord. The Lord God. I wish we had time tonight to go through these because these are so wonderful. Merciful means giving those that deserve worse, giving them better. Gracious. You know what grace is? It's God's influence on our lives manifested outwardly. God doesn't have to do that. I do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the church of Macedonia. And how that in their Abundance of po- their, their, their uh, um, abundance of joy and deep poverty. They gave of themselves willingly. They first gave themselves, but they gave way beyond their means. How could they do that? Grace. God is a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He's a long-suffering God, and He's abundant in goodness and truth. And in John chapter one verse eighteen, John remembering about the Lord, thinking back and writing it down, moved by the Holy Ghost to write it says this, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt us among, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You remember when Jesus told the Jews, He says, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father? 
God revealed himself in the Old Testament to Moses, abundant in goodness and truth. And his only begotten son revealed the same glory to those that served him and lived with him. He was, he, they beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Praise the Lord for that. So the, re- the request was, show me your glory. The response was, I will. The requirement was, you've got to get to where you can see it, though. We have to do the same thing. We can't just expect it to happen by osmosis because we sit in a pew. We have to be in our Bibles, reading, praying, meditating, studying, talking to the Lord, staying close by Him. And then what will we see? You will see God revealed to you in the same way here. A God that is loving, a God that is merciful, a God that is gracious, a God that is long-suffering, a God that is abundant in goodness and truth. He's not going to run out. Amen? So what's the result? This is the last point. what's What's the result of all this? Moses got what he asked for. God was good to him. And probably this is a a two-part message that we tried to cram into one. Amen. But hopefully it prompted some study maybe for you this week. What was the result? Well, back in Exodus chapter 34, let's look what happened after Moses saw God's glory. Exodus chapter 34. Look at verse 29. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai... With two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. When Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. (laughs) You know what I love about that? I love the detail God gives. I love the detail that God gives. The Bible tells us. That when Moses came down off the mountain, he had no idea what he looked like. Did you catch that? He wist not. That means he didn't even realize. That's a true character of a person that's really been with God. Amen? You see, in our world, we have a lot of people walking around that think they have it on them. Amen? They want that look at me. I carry my Bible right. I look right, talk right, act right. I, I mean, I've got I'm the real deal. In reality, those that have truly been with God, they don't even realize it, but others do. Moses didn't see it. He didn't know that he was shining, but others did. Others took note. And God give us churches full of people that have no idea the impact they're having on other people. That are just just naive enough to think that they're living their lives as God wants them to live, not even realizing the impact they have on others. If you'll bear with me for just five more minutes, we'll be done, I promise. I find it interesting in Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 25, you find two groups of people. In Matthew 7, I know you know this, I know Brother Montoro well. He, he, he preaches the whole counsel of God, so you're familiar with this, so we're not going to turn there. But Jesus said there'll be some that he's going to say in that last day, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. And their response is interesting to me. They say to the Lord, but Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name did many wonderful works. And if you don't believe me, I got it right here. Look at how good I lived for you. Now, who are they talking to? The Lord. But that doesn't matter to them. The Lord just got done saying what's happening, and they disagree. Lord, you've got it wrong. Look at what I've done. Now, 18 chapters later, Matthew 25, Jesus is talking. I believe it's another crossroads at the same time when the Lord's separating the sheep from the goats. Now the Lord is rewarding saints. And he says, here, this is for you. This is for when you fed me, when you clothed me, when you visited me in prison, when you gave me housing. Do you know what their response was? I don't mean to argue, but when did we do that? They didn't know. Back in Matthew 7, they knew exactly what they had done. Matthew 25, you have a bunch of people who are just living their life the way they thought they should, not expecting anything for it. And God is giving them the great rewards. And here's what he said. He says, well, when you visited that person in prison, when you fed the hungry, when you clothed, and I'm not saying it's a social gospel, amen, the, the gospel is the gospel. But he's taught, it's, Jesus, I'm just saying what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He says, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. 
Amen? Moses didn't get it. He didn't see the shining, but others saw it. And I'm telling you, we will see revival when we are churches. And I'm, I'm confident this church is. You wouldn't be as strong as you are today if you didn't have people like this here. But let, let this just stir up your minds by way, by way of remembrance. Amen? That it's not about us. It's about the Lord. And it's, it's about us serving Him. And if we have an effect on other people, then praise the Lord for it. Some plant, some water, but God will give the increase. We know that because He always keeps His word. All right, so this is a great story from Exodus chapter 33. It's a great story about Moses, and it's one that we can learn from. But is there any present-day application? I believe there is. If you would take your Bibles to the last time, we're almost done. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4. Moses didn't see it, but others did. Acts chapter 4. Let's look at verse 32. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was known, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Is that not what we want? That's what we, Lord, show us your glory. And God showed Moses his graciousness, his goodness. Abundant of goodness and truth. These words are interchangeable. Jesus, full of grace and truth. The the apostles, the early church, had great grace upon them. How did that happen? Were they just in the right place at the right time? No, verse 13, look at this. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. We want great grace upon us all. Do we want people seeing light in a dark world? Do we want people to see there's a difference between us? There's a difference between this church and the other churches in Astoria? It's going to happen with God's presence and God's grace revealed. How will that manifest itself after God's people, you and me, spend time with Him? How's that going to happen? Lord, show me your glory. I got to be in the right place at the right time. In this book, right here. In this book. This is more than a textbook. This is life's book. The Bible says this. This is a great, a great, great truth. You're already in Acts chapter 4, so just turn one or two pages backwards. And I want you to see that this is the culmination. This will wrap everything together, hopefully in a neat bow. Who did the... Who did the people marvel at the disciples the apostles who is doing the what is this book called by the way the acts of who the apostles right what are we going to what are we going to see and this book covers about 30 30 to 35 years acts 1 to acts 28 30 to 35 years what are we going to see happen in this book and anybody what are we going to see happen not all at once because i can't hear you Here's what we're going to see happen. We're going to see the early church endued with power from on high. We're going to see thousands converted. We're going to see churches started everywhere. We're going to see Christians get their name because of how they're living. We're going to see miracles performed. We're going to see people praying. We're going to see people in unity. And do you know how Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, do you know how he summed it all up? Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that who? Jesus began both to do and teach. Doesn't Luke know that in a few verses Jesus is going to ascend into heaven? Did he get that wrong? He's not even out of chapter 1 and Jesus is gone. And yet he says here, I'm going I'm I'm to write you a book of everything that Jesus is going to begin to do and teach. Well, you and I both know the answer, that Jesus was not physically there, but every time you see the apostles working, that's the Lord. It's Christ. It's Jesus. But you know my favorite word, Brother Jason? Was began. You know why? Because that tells me Acts was just the beginning. And he's still working and teaching today. Through this place right here, through the east end out there. 
But the only way we're going to have an impact is if those people know and see that we've been with Jesus. It'll manifest itself in our lives. It'll manifest itself not just in our personalities, but in our work for the Lord. And I believe that we have a great example in Moses. Lord, I don't, I, I, I don't need another miracle. I, I, just, I just need you. God, give, give me you. Let me see you in my life. And God will answer the prayer. He did it through Moses, but we just got to be right in the rock, in the word. And we see God in his goodness and his wonderful. It, it, cannot, it cannot do anything but have an impact on our lives and in our, and in our looks. Amen? I hope it was a blessing. Father in heaven, thank you for the day. Thank you for the great privilege it was to preach at this church. I pray that you'd be pleased with our response and anything that was said that might have been an encouragement, a challenge. I pray that you'd use it for your glory. Lord, I believe I know the, the burden in the heart of most of those here tonight. We, we truly do, Lord. We don't want to see activity. We, we want to see your glory. God, grant us that request. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.